0: Get your first book for just $9.99 by using the code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. One more time. That's bookofthemonth.com. Use the code CHIRP and get reading. Hey everybody, welcome to the Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy. I'm here in Los Angeles. It's nice to be with you. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're doing all right it is friday so it's time for another flashback episode where i dig into the other people archives and share an outtake from an episode from years past today an outtake from episode 627 my conversation with author and poet megan fernandez it first aired on march 1st 2020 Megan is the author of several books, including The Kingdom and After, which was published by Tightrope Books in 2015. Another one called Good Boys that was published by Tin House back in 2020. And most recently, she authored a poetry collection entitled, I Do Everything I'm Told. This one is also available from Tin House. It was published to wide acclaim this past summer. Megan's work has appeared all over the place, including uh, the New Yorker magazine, the American Poetry Review, Plowshares, Guernica, McSweeney's, and elsewhere. She is an associate professor of English and the writer in residence at Lafayette College. An outtake from episode 627, my conversation with Megan Fernandez is coming up momentarily. A quick reminder before we get going that I do a weekly email newsletter over at Substack. You can subscribe for free. It's bradlisty.substack.com, I believe. It's a great way to keep up with the show. I let you know about the latest episodes each week. I also share a list of links to things that I've been reading and finding interesting, so if you would like to hear from me in your inbox once a week, head on over to Substack and subscribe. Likewise, there is a patreon community for this show if you're a regular listener if you really enjoy what i do and you would like to help this program continue into the future head on over to patreon.com slash other ppl pod join and get yourself some merchandise in the process get yourself a book club subscription there are options so check it out over at patreon.com slash other ppl pod Okay, so today's flashback features an outtake from episode 627, my conversation with author and poet Megan Fernandez. Again, it first aired on March 1st, 2020. The full episode, incidentally, is available in the feed. So if you like this flashback and you want to hear the full conversation, you can do that. It's in the feed. It's waiting for you, episode 627. All right. Here I am in conversation back in March of 2020 with Megan Fernandez.
1: I'm not really um, sporty. I'm at, at all. Can you tell? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't
0: know. I don't, you're from Edmonton,
1: though. You could be a hockey I fan. know. I do. Yeah. I know who like Wayne Gretzky is. And I did go to elementary school with um, the guy who's the captain or was the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, really? Dion Paneuf or something. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I watched this. In a documentary about Wayne Gretzky and how he got traded. Oh yeah. Which was this huge? I mean, It, it was huge. Yeah. It was like the most important thing that ever happened in, in Canada. Ed, in Canada. In all of Canada. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's the
0: way it was positioned too. But yeah. um, that was like my first real window into life in Edmonton. It's not a place that I have much of. Uh, I have no personal experience there on the ground. And then I had. Why not, would you? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you recall?
1: Oh, um, you know, actually, I think I had kind of like a lovely early years in Edmonton. It was cold, but like cold weather for a kid is kind of fun. Yeah. A lot of like making snowmen and being outside, a lot of wilderness. Um, And I think that uh, there was a pretty good Indian community around us. So we had like... Uh, a good community there. And also family, you know, a lot of my family immigrated to that part of Canada It was easier to immigrate there than the United States at the time.
0: Okay. So wait, you are both your parents from India?
1: Yeah, it's kind of complicated. They are, um, they're third generation East African Portuguese colonized Indians who grew up under British occupation. So they're from Tanzania actually, and they lived there for three generations, but part of an Indian diaspora. Got it. In Tanzania. But part of this Indian diaspora that was, that's from Goa, which is a Portuguese colonized previously, Portuguese colonized uh, smallest province in India. Yeah.
0: Okay. Wow. That's a lot.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a poet. That makes sense to me now. Like (laughs) I was just like, wait, what is this? You know, I remember getting my cable bills in Spanish. I mean, like I don't speak Spanish, um, but just being kind of illegible in terms of identity. That's something that I think I've always kind of struggled with. And then like the Canadian add that to the mix and It was even more confusing, I think.
0: But your roots, like your ethnic origins are India.
1: India, yeah. Okay, you said Goa. Goa. Which is? It's the smallest province in India. It's on um, the west side of India, and uh, particularly from Panjim, which is a small city in Goa. And um, yeah, I mean, we still have family that live there. Uh, My grandparents were in Mumbai for 40 years. And then they moved to Goa. They've, they've passed now, but um, we have just family mostly in Mumbai and Goa, left in India. And then in Tanzania, in Tonga, which is a small coastal town.
0: Have you been to these places?
1: Yeah, I've been to India a lot. Uh, I haven't been there in a little while, but when I was growing up, we would go there you know, almost every year, or every few years. And then the last time I was in uh, East Africa was in 2015.
0: Okay, and how's that?
1: Um, it was really important. It was a really important trip for me. It was the first time I'd been there without my parents. So that was very difficult because they speak Swahili and I do not speak great Swahili. Um, and Wait, so, what been, and
0: they speak Spanish too?
1: No, that was a joke. They, we don't speak any oh, Spanish. Oh, oh, <laughs> it's I just like, Fernandez. We get cable bills like, you know, in Spanish all the time. And, and like, where does the Fernandez come from? It's Portuguese. Yeah. Fernandez is a very common Portuguese last name. With an S, right? So with a Z, it's Hispanic, right? But with an S, it's Portuguese.
0: But the the name was there a name uh, was there a name changed to Fernandez from something? No, it's always been Fernandez. Always
1: Fernandez. Going back to India. Um well I mean because the Portuguese <laughs> there intermarriage, right? And, okay. yeah, back in the day. So De Souza, de Silva, Pereira, Fernandez, these are the common last names you'll find in Goa India, which are all Portuguese last names. And then like the Portuguese first names are also I mean, the first names of all these, you know, Indian, ethnically Indian people are also Portuguese, like Zelia or um uh uh, Evaristo, you know? So it's kind of, it's always, always been a little bit confusing yeah. for somebody outside to explain to them what right. it's like. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so you, your parents immigrate to Canada, they leave Tanzania mm-hmm. because things are bad in Tanzania.
1: No. So my mom left Tanzania and went and became a flight attendant for Saudi Arabian airlines. Um, after college in, uh, India, she went back to India, went to college. She was actually a molecular biology major, um, but there were no jobs. And I think it was probably particularly difficult for women to get jobs in the sciences at the time. So she wanted to travel. She became a flight attendant for by, Saudi By the way, Maine. in the uh-huh. age of
0: coronavirus, we need flight attendants with molecular biology degrees.
1: <laughs> oh God. This is perfect. Is it too soon for that joke? I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it's not soon enough. I'm terrified. Yeah, yeah. I have some contagion fear, but, um, yeah, she had skills for, uh, pandemics. Um, but, uh and then my dad went to England uh, after when he was 17 he left africa to go in to, uh, to england and then immigrated from um, from england so to
0: it's like citizens of the world
1: basically yes
0: that's cool to me
1: it is cool i mean that's sort of the philosophy of diaspora i guess it's you know it means scattered but i also think i read somewhere that you know where you're Born, the concept of the nation is based on where you're born, but the concept of diaspora is where you die. And I kind of thought that was, um, that's a little bit how I think about my family's movements is, you know, sometimes going to sadly going to funerals in places that feel so far away from where they grew up and where they were sort of formed. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's cool because you get to experience all these different places and you have a certain worldliness and sense of connectivity. I would imagine But then also, in a lot of ways, it can be harder because of that sense of dislocation, that sense of never fully belonging to a place. Or do you have that?
1: A hundred percent. And also this feeling of just like consistently like feeling in authentic in every space. Right. Um, You know, not being kind of feeling like American, but also because that's where I grew up, you know, predominantly, but also growing up in a household household where like none of my friends, you know, could really relate unless they also were immigrants. Right. Um, to the way that I grew up or to like my relationship or experiences growing up, but then going to India and also feeling not at all of that world, right. and then, you know, going to, <laughs> you know, all over. Yeah. So I think it's a consistent feeling of, um, that like, what does it mean to have a homeland that's theoretical or imaginary or kind of rootless in a way? And how do you make, a space for subjectivity or, you know, I'm an academic, I use these words. Um, how do you make a space for identity? Like when everything feels um, more horizontal than deep, if that makes sense.
0: Do you feel like an American? Like I say this uh, because, you know, it's, it's nice for me to sometimes think like I'm a citizen of the world. I don't even believe in countries. Patriotism feels weird to me. Like I get that I'm an American. There are a lot of things I appreciate, uh, appreciate about the privilege of growing up here. Um, there are a lot of things I don't appreciate exactly, but when I go abroad, there is something sort of like like I can never shake the fact that I'm from here. Yeah, and I don't think I necessarily realize how deeply I'm an American until I'm not in the United States. Of course, yeah. Do you have that feeling when you go abroad, or you're like, actually, I am? This place has gotten into me.
1: Yeah. Oh no, I'm totally I totally identify as an American for all the terrible things about that and all the good things about that. I guess. Um, I mean, I don't have a romanticized idea like you of, of, you know, like I think we're similar this way. I don't have any romanticized idea of like patriotism or, you know, belonging to a nation or feeling like that citizenship um, means something aspirational. Right. I'm pretty I feel like pretty realistic. But um, no, I feel like American culturally in terms of like, you know, the music I would listen to. Uh, the TV shows I would watch the way that I talk, I think is very East coast. My sense of humor feels very East coast. I'm struggling out here in Southern California. (laughs) Come Um, but no, I feel, I definitely feel like an American in that way. And I have friends who are from everywhere who are like, Oh my God, you're so American sometimes.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, I've obviously, uh, it's well-documented on this show, but I, I like many people have been out of sorts, uh, for the past few years. You know, looking at what's going on in the United States and, you know, I don't need to ramble um, and, you know, spell it out in detail. But one of the things that I read recently, which made me pause and made me sort of rethink my thinking is uh, like on the one hand, I say, you know, patriotism especially when it's like jingoistic and, sure. you know, tied to like uh, foreign adventures in war or whatever. That's where it starts to give me the creeps. Um, but I read something about people who had immigrated to the United States, like first generation, and specifically they had come from countries that were failed states. Yeah, And this was before Trump. And so they were, you know, this might even have been before George W. Bush, but, you know, coming to a country where the government you know quasi worked right and had some level of integrity to it it was most deeply appreciated i think was what this essay was trying to communicate by people who were coming from countries where the state had completely failed right and i think the point was that like you don't know how much you appreciate like a semi-functional government until it's gone. Sure. Um, So I don't know. Does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, a lot of those semi-functional governments are only semi-functional because of American imperialism and American intervention and, you know, uh, like years and years of, of, of colonial, um, uh, uh occupation and and taking resources from certain um spaces. So yeah, I think a lot about the language that we use to think about um nation-statehood, about modernity, about what it means to be, uh, you know, I'm putting this in air quotes, like a developed, like a developed country, what it means to have a developing economy, the way that we talk about China and India and, and certainly parts of Africa now. And yeah, I'm very um suspect of the language of uh, what works right. And what fails, because I think, you know, we're really failing (laughs) and we've been failing in a lot of ways, um, in income inequality, obviously here, um, in, in, in terms of, uh, the criminal justice system in terms of race, we've been failing for so long. So yeah, what it means to be semi-functional as like a people or as like a government or as a population, I think that that, uh, that language is sort of a language that is really only working for a pretty small population, right? You know, hence the situation that we're in right now.
0: Um, well, I the other day, like sometimes I'll read about climate change. I can only do it in fits and starts because it's so scary and depressing. Of
1: course, yeah.
0: I read for like I got into like a internet hole yeah. and I just read for like you know a couple of hours. Yeah. I went inside and literally poured myself like a large glass of vodka. Yeah. I was so, I was so shaken by what I read.
1: Sure. Where's that vodka, by the way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all
0: gone, <laughs> but that's not like, that's nece- not necessarily like me. I don't typically like have a cock. I mean, I'm not like get upset and have a cocktail person, but like yeah. it struck me as like a unique situation. And I guess like maybe proportionate, <laughs> you know, like, Oh yeah. Um, and then uh, last night, I don't usually remember my dreams. I had a vivid dream that I was dying and basically like, it wasn't even, it was like that. I was sick and then I was going to be euthanized. Wow. And I woke up crying. Wow. Not like me at all.
1: Really? Yeah. You're not a crier in
0: the morning. Not, no. <laughs> um, but I was just like, whoa, like I was just such a heavy dream. Yeah. And yeah. I was trying to be like in the dream, I was trying to sort of be like, a stoic dad sure but it was like old yeller you know like i was like except i was old yeller
1: do you remember your dreams
0: no okay not typically yeah or if i do it's very fleeting and then gone
1: is the symbolism of your dreams like quite cinematic or is it pretty usually pretty narrative and
0: i think it's i think it might be tied to like the deep sense of dread and sadness that i felt Mm -hmm. for my own kids after reading about climate change yes like what we're doing and then, and you know, we talked about this before we came on. I'm going to try not to, to timestamp this conversation with um, specific political stuff, just because by the time it goes live, it could all be of course, yeah. Like we could all be dead of coronavirus. Sure, <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, but one of the things that I have witnessed online and in conversation with people, but specifically on social media, like the chatter around the election. Mm. Um, one component of it. That I've noticed is that young people tend to be in support of Bernie. Yes. Like he, that he has young people. Yeah. And then there is a certain um subset of the American political left which cannot stand Bernie, thinks he's going to lose. Right. Um yeah. thinks that these kids basically are delusional. I, I hear like there's a lot of shit talking both ways, to be honest. Like sure. the kids shit talk the older people. The older people shit talk, the younger people, everybody seems to know that Bernie can win or everybody seems to know that Bernie cannot win. Yeah, And I'm always like, motherfuckers, like, look who's in the Oval Office. Nobody fucking knows anything. Like I'm
1: kind of with you there. Yeah. We
0: all said there was no way Trump was going to be the nominee. He was the nominee. We said there's no way he's going to beat Hillary. Look where we are now. Yeah. So don't act like you know. Right. Like have some humility.
1: Of course. And move with the uncertainty of the times. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: And then it's like, well, Bernie has all these pie in the sky plans and he doesn't have any like specific action plans. He'll never be able to get anything passed. It could be true. It would be incredibly politically difficult for him if elected to pass his agenda in full i think that's a political reality that seems very likely unless he wins like a supermajority. but here's where the point that i'm getting at is that when i think about younger generations in particular and when i think about young people who are in their 20s and who are saddled with college debt um who might be young women who would like to have a family or, or young men who would like to have a family even with health insurance, the out-of-pocket copays in hospitals for pregnancy make things too expensive.
1: Yeah,
0: care costs make starting a family cost prohibitive. In the meantime, you've, you're saddled with uh, you know what, one hundred twenty thousand dollars of college debt. That's how you enter the workforce, uh, and then we have a climate disaster that is barreling down. That. Requires emergency, massive, unprecedented action over the next decade, or we are fucked. Yeah. And what I want to say to anybody who poo-poo's—I can't believe I just used it as a verb—but anybody, I'm also
1: surprised. But yeah, go ahead.
0: Anybody who, <laughs> who shit-talks young people for responding to the the message that Bernie is sending out, um listen, I don't know what to think of him, right? I'm not advocating for him. I'm advocating for these kids who want a future, yeah. like get a clue. Yeah. Like maybe they are dreamers or whatever. Maybe they like, maybe they are not living in political reality, but how can you fault them? They want a fucking future. Yeah. And I just think anybody, I don't see the conversation centering on why young people are responding to that message. I see the conversation centering on you're stupid, you're wrong. He's, you know, he's bad. He's a narcissist, whatever the criticisms, criticisms might be. I think it's maybe more useful to be like, why are young people, why are they there? Maybe we should listen to them and maybe we should consider, um, why they are so immovable. You know, they're that core, like 30% block or whatever. So anyway, that's a long winded spiel, but I've been thinking about this a lot.
1: Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about Bernie is sort of the conversation that has been kind of irresponsible in my, in my opinion, in the media about him as radical. I think a lot of countries in Europe would put like Bernie as like moderate left, you know, just left of moderate, like, he's not actually asking for anything that's crazy radical, in my opinion, he's asking for things that are like, available to most uh, countries that would see themselves as um leaders of of civilization and like healthcare right um maternity leave uh dignity just like human dignity so i think that there's this way in which we've couched this conversation uh in the media nationally really problematically as being we have to have someone who's moderate as if that's a reality well
0: where's the middle that's what i always, i think that's kind of what you're saying like
1: i don't th- i what i'm what i'm saying is that like we we sort of say okay, this person is doing well by we, I mean, the media is sort of saying like what he's advocating for is radical. It's not what he's advocating for is, is just like decent human living with some dignity where you don't have to go bankrupt. If you get cancer or where, you know, friends of mine who have had like some serious medical issues, but once they get kicked off their parents' health insurance, right. Can't go see a doctor and then things spiral out of control or, I mean, the people who are who are advocating for a kind of moderate um, uh, option, in, in my opinion, uh, are, are just like li- Are they are living in an unreality, right? They are living in an unreality where they think that they can go back to some, I don't know, Clinton, Obama era uh, neoliberal fantasy, which is is exactly that. That's a fantasy structure that didn't work. It didn't work, and it left so many people out, right?
0: Alright guys, there we go. That was today's flashback, episode 627, My Conversation with Author and Poet Megan Fernandez. It first aired on March 1st, 2020. The full episode, episode 627, is available in the feed, so if you want to tune in and hear the full conversation, have at it. Megan Fernandez is the author of a poetry collection entitled, I Do Everything I'm Told published earlier this year to great acclaim on Tin House. Go get your copy of that. You can follow her on social media at Twitter and on uh, Instagram. She has a website too. It is uh, meganfernandez.com. So check that out. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. Subscribe to my weekly newsletter over at Substack. You can do that for free. Join the Other People Patreon community at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Help keep this show going into the future. Give this show a rating and write a little review if that's an option. If you have a couple of minutes and you want to help the cause, it helps the show find new listeners. If you would like to get other people apparel, a t shirt, or a sweatshirt, you can do that at the show's official website, otherppl.com. And if you want to read my latest book, it's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. It's a novel available in trade paperback ebook and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. So if you want to read my novel, it's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. All right, so Sunday. My guest will be Jamie Nakamura-Lynn. She has a new memoir out called The Night Parade, available from Mariner Books. It is the official November book club pick. Had a great time talking with Jamie Nakamura-Lynn. That is coming up in just a couple of days. Stay tuned.